Thank you very much. It's really good to be with you this morning. As John said, we're in this series in Luke's Gospel called The King and His Kingdom. This is going to take us right up until Easter of next year. Now, if you're into politics, you will know that it is party conference season at the moment. And at these conferences, particularly when there's an election coming up, parties will set out their manifestos. And really, they're a list of promises and values and priorities, really saying this is what the nation will look like under our leadership. And as they lay out their manifestos at these, at these conferences, normally everyone gets up at the right moment and cheers and applauds. Well, this morning we're going to look at a passage in Luke 4, where Jesus is really laying out the manifesto of the kingdom, if you like, a list of priorities and promises and characteristics, what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes near. But as we'll see, it doesn't result in applause. In fact, by the end of the chapter, it gets a very, very negative response from the people who are listening. Let's just say it doesn't end well. So we're going to get into this passage together. It's in Luke 4, verses 14 to 30. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along in your Bible. If not, the words will be on the screen behind me. So it's Luke 4, verses 14 to 30. It says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this incredible passage that we're looking at this morning. Jesus, I thank you for what you came and said on that day in that synagogue. And I thank you that you're here this morning and there's things you want to say to us this morning. Well, Lord, I ask that you'd soften our hearts. 
I ask that you'd open our ears, that we might hear what you want to say to us today. Come and fill us with your spirit and speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is in Galilee, in the north of Israel. And it says there in the text that it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue each Sabbath. There's a great reason to prioritise worshipping with your church family each Sunday. Jesus was a churchgoer. And at the time, Jesus was becoming known for his teaching. Word was starting to get around about this local rabbi. And he comes back to his hometown of Nazareth, the place where he grew up. And he's invited to speak. And in the synagogue, the way it would work was the speaker for that day would stand to read from the word of God. And then they'd sit down to teach. So Jesus gets up and he reads these well-known words from the prophet Isaiah. And as he sits down to speak, Luke writes that the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And you can almost feel the expectation here. This is a local boy. He's one of our own. What will he say? How will he interpret these famous words from Isaiah? And Jesus says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's an incredible moment. And we're going to unpack what Jesus says. And we're going to look at two things this morning from this passage about the kingdom manifesto. First, we're going to look at the grace of the kingdom manifesto and then the scale of the kingdom manifesto. So first, the grace of this kingdom manifesto. This passage that Jesus quotes says so much about the gracious heart of God. It's from Isaiah 61. We heard it read out in worship this morning. It's a wonderful passage. And it's about what it looks like when things on earth come under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. So what does it look like? Well, it's good news. It's all about freedom. Jesus reads those words there. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free. And you know, we have many stories in our church family of people who've been set free from all kinds of things and whose lives are evidence of this, whose lives now look totally different from how they looked before because of Jesus. Our God loves to set people free. This is why we have ministries in our church like Azalea and King's Table and Christians Against Poverty set up to free people in our town caught up in all kinds of things. It's because... Freedom is a kingdom value. These are kingdom ministries. And of course, you don't have to be enslaved in a literal sense to know captivity. As we get close to Jesus, we realize there are all kinds of things that we need freeing from. Things that we do, patterns of thinking. And as we accept his rule and reign over our lives, he comes and sets us free. A great mark of the kingdom of God is freedom. Another mark of the kingdom of God is healing. Jesus reads those words, he sent me to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. I remember taking our young people to New Day one year, and one of our teenagers who was with us had worn glasses since he was very, very young, and he was prayed for during the time of healing, and God restored his sight, and he was able to take off his glasses and see again clearly. That is the kingdom of God breaking in. We should expect to see miraculous healings when the kingdom comes. And of course, it's not just about physical healing. There's a spiritual element to this too. I know this from my own life, that when the kingdom of God breaks in, it's like we see in a whole new way. Our eyes are open to God as Father. We realise that he's for us and not against us. And we see the world in a whole new way. The kingdom of God is about recovery of sight. 
And the kingdom of God is about forgiveness and a fresh start. Again, Jesus reads those words. He sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. I love that line. See, this is a, about a gracious law that God had built into Israel's history, the law of Jubilee. You can read about it in Leviticus 25. And it was that in every 50th year, all debts were cancelled and all slaves were set free and all the land went back to its original owners. People got to start over again. So you won't find that in any political party's manifesto. But this is the great promise of God to us that now is the year of Jubilee, that our debts are cancelled because of Jesus, that we stand completely forgiven and free and our slates are wiped totally clean. This is a gracious manifesto. And look who benefits from this manifesto. It's the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. And as we journey through Luke's gospel over these coming weeks, we'll see that these were the kinds of people that Jesus spent time with. He came close to people who were on the margins as he healed the sick and he demonstrated the favour of God. I remember in my early 20s spending a couple of weeks out in Angola alongside people who were incredibly poor. But what I was stunned by was their joy. See, these were people who knew the eternal hope of Jesus. They were materially poor, but spiritually some of the richest people I've ever met. The gospel is good news. And you know, this is not just about about material poverty. This is about spiritual poverty too. The gospel is good news for those of us who realise that we're spiritually bankrupt That actually in our own strength, by our own nature, we have a lack, that we're broken people and our only hope is the generosity of God poured out on us. And Jesus reads out this glorious, gracious manifesto and then he says that line, all of these things are fulfilled in me. In other words, I'm not just proclaiming freedom, I'm bringing it. I'm not just here to tell you about a future season. I'm bringing this season now. The kingdom of God begins now through me. God has entered into his creation. And Jesus lays out this manifesto. He brings this incredible news that the kingdom has come. And at this moment, you can almost hear heaven erupting with applause as the Son of God is revealed. And yet, in that synagogue... In Nazareth, isn't this Joseph's son? Do you know, it can be a strange thing to go back to your hometown. I grew up in a town called St. Ostor in Cornwall, a beautiful part of the country. Great childhood, wonderful family, amazing parents. And whenever I go back, it's full of memories and stories. It's a place where I'm known. And in one sense, that is really lovely. It's really good to be known in that place. But also there's this familiarity in your hometown. You're known as the son of these these people. You're known as the friend of these people. And for Jesus, he's back in his hometown. And he makes this claim that the kingdom of God has come. And there's this familiarity that almost seems to fuel cynicism, skepticism. Isn't this Joseph's son? And they miss what Jesus is claiming. Do you know, we too can have an over-familiarity with Jesus. If we've grown up in a Christian family, we've learned about Jesus from a young age, heard the same stories and sung the same songs, 
We can become so familiar with this Jesus that we miss the impact of what he's saying here. We miss how significant this is. And see, Luke has been making it clear to us in these first four chapters of his gospel exactly whose son Jesus is. So in chapter 2, at Jesus' birth, a great company of angels appear and say, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on those on whom his favour rests. That doesn't happen at ordinary births. In chapter 3, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descends and a voice comes from heaven saying, This is my son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And as Luke writes down the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3, he writes, Jesus was the son, or so it was thought, of Joseph. Isn't this Joseph's son? No! That's the point. This is the Son of God. The man in the synagogue in Nazareth that day is the God who spoke the universe into being. The one who sat down to teach from the scriptures that morning was the very word of God who existed before anything else existed. The one at the center of creation in whom and through whom and for whom all things were made. The one who is and always has been, and always will be. See, as long as we see Jesus as Joseph's son, we'll never understand the kingdom. We'll never accept the rule and the reign of King Jesus over our lives. We'll never allow him to shape how we see our past, and our present, and our future. How we prioritize our lives. How we understand our sense of purpose. Do you know what Jesus is saying here is disruptive and challenging and it demands a response. Because what do you do when a man sits in front of you claiming to be God? Don't miss who Jesus is. Don't miss the wonderful grace of the kingdom of God coming into our world here through Jesus. And don't miss the scale of this kingdom manifesto. You know, you can see why the Jewish people here responded like they did. See, they knew exactly what Jesus was claiming here. They knew this passage from Isaiah that Jesus reads was about a coming Messiah. And they were looking forward to a time when the Messiah would come and bring release and freedom for God's people, but also that he'd bring judgment on God's enemies. That's how they'd have understood this passage. But notice what Jesus doesn't quote from Isaiah. Notice what he leaves out from this passage. If you look at it, and we heard it this morning from Isaiah 61, it says, The Lord has anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus leaves out the vengeance bit. And you can almost imagine his listeners there thinking, well, that was the best bit. But instead, Jesus goes on to tell this story about two great prophets from Israel's history, about Elijah and Elisha. Now, the time of those prophets was a time of division and drought and famine for God's people. And yet Jesus picks out two characters who are blessed by God through these prophets. One is a widow living in extreme poverty, close to death. And the other is a Syrian military leader with leprosy. What do they both have in common? They're Gentiles. They're not God's people. In fact, they would have been considered enemies of God. And yet Jesus points out that these are the very people that God chose to bless. What is the point here? That God's grace isn't just for a particular people group. 
that God will have favour on who he has favour. And that is an offence to the people who are listening that morning. Because they understood that they would receive the favour of God because they're part of a certain people group. They missed the scope and the scale of Jesus' mission. Do you know, as soon as we think we're worthy of God's grace, for whatever reason, we're in trouble. If we fall into thinking that because we're part of a certain family, because we come from a certain place, or because we've lived in a certain way, that there's some virtue in us that makes us worthy of blessing. As soon as we think like that, we are on dodgy ground. Because the gospel says that we're all poor, that we're all blind, that we're all imprisoned, that we all need the outrageous grace of God. The gospel is good news for for those of us who know that we're broken and selfish and that on our own, in our own strength, we make a mess of things. People who regret things and wish we could start over again. The gospel is the wonderful news of the generous grace of God poured out on broken people like you and me. See, Jesus totally changes the scale here. The kingdom manifesto isn't just for a small, distant town 2,000 years ago. This is a message of hope that the whole world needs to hear. He takes this passage, understood as being about deliverance for a certain people group, and instead he offers good news for anyone who will receive him. This is a global manifesto. It's not that the Messiah has come to rescue a nation, it's that God has come to rescue the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And there will come a time when God brings great judgment, but now is this time of grace when the whole world is invited to know the generosity of God and to accept his kingship over their lives. And you know, when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for the whole of the earth to come under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. That we'd see his kingdom values lived out here in our neighbourhoods and in our workplaces, in our homes, in our streets. And bigger than that, that rulers and leaders of nations would submit to Jesus. That governments around the world would be characterised by righteousness. That we'd see kingdom influence in all areas of society, in business, in the media, in the creative arts, in education and healthcare, that those in influence in these areas would have revelation of who Jesus is and that they bow the knee to him and lead out of a place of knowing that they're sons and daughters of the king. I mean, imagine what that would look like. Imagine the justice and the healing and the peace and the freedom and the grace that would come. And one day, you know, we know that the, the earth will be like this, that all things will come under his rule and, and his reign. But here's the thing, God has brought his kingdom now. And we get to be part of that. Right at the end of Luke 4, there's a weird moment that, as I read it, it left me asking a few questions about it. It says that the people were furious with what Jesus said. So they got up, they drove him out of the town And they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And I thought, how? How did he do that? Was this a miracle of some kind? Did did he outwit them? Was Jesus just a little bit sneaky? We don't know what happened in that moment. What we do know is that Jesus' hour had not yet come. 
But a few years later, it would. And that morning in that synagogue, as Jesus made his claim that the kingdom of God had come, he knew that things were now in motion that would lead to the cross. To a time when he wouldn't choose to walk away from death, but instead would choose to submit to death. And at the cross, he was held in captivity so that we could know freedom. He became poor so that we could become spiritually rich. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are forgiven and made righteous and brought into his family. John says in his gospel, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, now we are sons and daughters of the king, and he fills us with his spirit. And now this kingdom manifesto that Jesus preached is our manifesto. We get to carry the answer to the world's darkness and problems and pain. We get to carry the kingdom out into the world around us. Which leaves us with a couple of questions as we end this morning. First, what are you going to do with this man who claims to be God? What are you going to do with him? See, this... Jesus still disrupts and challenges people today. Even this morning, he is seated on his heavenly throne and he calls you to lean in and he says, the kingdom of God is fulfilled in me. How do you hear that? Do you hear that as good news? Or is there cynicism? Are you sceptical? Do you hear that as good news? Do you see him as king? See, today most people would identify with Jesus' manifesto. Many would get on board with a manifesto that promises an end to poverty and oppression and injustice. And yet most people today will reject the very one through whom all this comes. The only one who can truly deliver people and set them free. Have you recognized who Jesus is and I don't just mean for the first time. Have you, are you seeing him as king right now? Has anything got in the way of that? We'll never receive God's kingdom into our lives until we understand that he is the king. But also, are we carrying this kingdom manifesto into the world around us? And you might say to me, well, it just seems way too big. I've got a million things I need to do, and that's just today. I've got to feed the kids, I've got work to do, I've got essays to write, I've got so much to do. Well, and that's true. I want to tell you, though, one thing that we can all do as we go out into the world this week. See, when we know the characteristics of the kingdom, things like freedom and healing and justice and grace, then one thing that we can all do is that whenever we see the opposite of these things, however big or small, We can pray and see what the Father will do. So if we see someone who's in pain physically or emotionally or psychologically, we can pray for healing. When we see injustice and oppression, we can pray. And who knows, God might use us to come and help bring freedom to those people. If we're talking with someone struggling with condemnation and guilt or regret, we can tell them about the God who gives people a fresh start. See, now, today, the Spirit of the Lord is on us, the church. He has anointed us. And Jesus sends us out with him, with this glorious manifesto, to see the kingdom come all the more in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Amen.
Amen.